is Animals at the Table. Welcome back to Animals at the Table, everyone. This is the show where I research a different animal welfare issue every episode that you can listen to so you and I can both stay informed on what's going on with the organisms all around us. And on this week, we'll be learning about Elephas maximus, commonly known as the Asian elephant. Our guest on this episode is truly such a genuinely nice person that she allowed me to hassle her and bring her a microphone so that we could record this episode virtually, but also have great sound quality. So shout out to her for being so awesome and going along with all of this craziness um, of recording a podcast during COVID. And she extremely cares about animals, like I do. And uh, she's doing great work at UBC. Right now, she's doing her master's. But I don't want to get into it. I want her to tell you all about it. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce this guest who is really going to do great things for animals in the future. So keep her name in the back of your mind. Maria Chen, everybody. Um, I'm Maria, uh, Maria Chen, and I'm a master's student at the Animal Welfare Program at the University of British Columbia. And my current research project is focused on understanding the lives and perspectives of employees on two large-scale Chinese dairy farms. So I lived and worked with the farmers for two months last year to learn about how employee management impacts dairy cattle care and welfare. I hope to focus on working um, on Chinese farm animal welfare issues. And this is quite a neglected field. So So can you tell me a little bit about the purpose of keeping elephants? How did it kind of start and how has that transitioned over time? Elephants are really culturally and politically significant in Thailand and in nearby regions. Elephants are prominent as a Buddhist religious symbol. They're also emblems of the Thai monarchy and During historical times of war, they were really important for maintaining power. They carried people into battle, for example, during the Thai-Burmese War. I I guess constantly they were used uh, due to their large size and strength to carry people and objects when you're trying to build something and or there are not many roads in the forest elephants become really useful during those times and in the 17th century elephants were primarily used in the logging industry they would be very helpful again during logging when there aren't many roads in the in the forest but there was so much logging happening that there was a lot of deforestation, which led to some very severe flash floods in southern Thailand. So in 1989, the Thai government actually had to ban logging. But what they did was that they made it illegal for elephants and mahouts to do logging. And this ban took place 
very abruptly. So all of a sudden, mahouts and around 2,000 elephants just became unemployed. And this was really devastating, as you can imagine, to these yeah, workers and their so elephants. Sad. Right. It's really sudden. And if you impose such a sudden change without much alternatives, then the elephants become quite dangerous if they're without their mahouts and the mahouts without their elephants would be basically without income. So they had to find alternative ways to get by. So one option was the illegal logging industry, which is not ideal <laughs> and sometimes dangerous because the mahouts and elephants had to avoid detection, for example, by working in the night. And other times, the elephant mahout pairs would start begging in the city. And this is also problematic because it's also quite dangerous to have elephants and mahouts just wandering the city streets. During this time, then, elephant tourism became a viable option for these mahout elephant pairs to secure some income. So this was around the time that it became quite popular to have these elephant camps that we see today. Today we have around 4,400 private owned elephants and they're almost exclusively working in these elephant camps. This is before the COVID, <laughs> COVID issue happened. Right, and we're, we're what, gonna have to yeah. see what the stats are after. I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, what's interesting is that the 4,000 captive elephants is actually more than the number of wild elephants in Thailand, which is around 2,500 only. So Maria, tell us about the course you took that brought you to Thailand to work with the elephants. It was a really fun and amazing course. It's called LFS 320D. Um, Asian Elephants Compassionate Conservation. The course was in partnership with the Mahouts Elephant Foundation. But don't worry if you aren't in the program or at UBC, you can go on their website and see how you can volunteer there to have sort of a similar experience or you can even just visit them as a tourist for a day while you're in Thailand. So this foundation works with mahouts or elephant guardians from uh, Karen Hill tribe and they return the mahout and their elephants t from elephant camps back into their home village so that the elephants can live in the forest. For the course, each of the students got to conduct our own kind of mini research project and I looked at the relationship between these mahouts and their elephants. What was it like seeing an elephant up close? This wasn't actually the first time I encountered an elephant when I was at the course. When was the last time you saw an <laughs> elephant? <laughs> when I was younger, I, being an animal lover, I really wanted to, you know, get up and close, up close and personal with an elephant. So we decided to go to one of those elephant camps and I was so excited to ride an elephant with my whole family on the elephant's back and um, I even got a massage from an elephant. <gasps> what? I did not know you could do that. 
Was I it know a good massage? <laughs> Looking back, my parents thought it was a very dangerous decision. These are very um, large animals, obviously. So when I went to Huai Pakut, the village where the mahouts and the elephants live, I really got chills because I saw the elephants living in their natural habitat in the forest and I was intruding on their not intruding but I was visiting them on their land rather than going to see them at a camp where they had to perform for me where they had to massage me (laughs) it was just so different and it really made me reflect on my experiences and how I was seeing these animals in a more respectful way. I actually know, uh, like, my boyfriend actually did the same thing when he was a child. You don't really know any better, and your parents, they probably don't know about what's going on, especially back then, like, there wasn't a lot of research probably going on with the issues these animals are having at these camps. So it's not really your fault. Like, you want to have this animal interaction. Maybe deep down you know that it's might be kind of wrong like why why is this elephant painting a portrait of me but you know at the same time it's all about knowledge and you didn't know and maybe if you knew you never would have gone but um it's a good learning experience i think <laughs> yeah for sure so um we actually went to as a group of students we actually went on this thailand trip during the course to visit one of the camps just to contrast the experience with those elephants in the um forest and yeah it was really distressing because we saw how happy the tourists are and what I think what made me the saddest was knowing that most of these people probably did this because they like elephants so much and I don't think anyone was there because they really wanted to see an elephant in a bad state so yeah I actually spoke to a tourist on one of the taxi rides and I shared that you know riding is really bad for their back when you're putting so much weight on their spine and they were really shocked and they decided not to not to go to a riding camp so oh wow there you go you changed someone's mind since we're talking about the relationship between mahouts and elephants i think a lot of people actually don't know what a mahout is so do you mind explaining that and giving us a definition right so before i went on this um project where I was looking at mahout elephant relationships I actually had no idea what mahout are and they are actually so important just so so important to the well-being of the elephant so I think in our current society the word mahout is quite misunderstood and often it's misused so this word mahout is actually derived from Hindi a word to mean elephant keeper and in thai it's called kwan chang and in karen it's called Gua. and in thai and karen this word means one who watches over the elephants in our current society the word mahout is kind of thrown around to describe anyone who works with an elephant or rides an elephant so the person you see in an elephant camp who is 
guiding the elephant as you ride them or next to an elephant as they perform. That's a mahout. But traditionally for captive Asian elephants, each elephant is assigned one mahout to take care of this elephant and they develop a very intense bond throughout their lifetime and working with each other. And historically, the role of the mahout is that they care for the elephant and they own that elephant. And this ownership and this mahoutship is passed down from one generation to the next in female, sorry, <laughs> male members of the fa- family. So mahouts before were highly respected in Thai society and Karen society because of their expertise. It's really something that's very respectful that you can interact with elephants. Okay, so being a mahout is a very respectful job to have in Thailand. But traditionally, you can't just wake up one day and be like, I want to be a mahout and work with elephants. No, you have to have that knowledge be passed down through male members of your family and sort of grow up with an elephant for your entire life to really create that bond because that bond is what is important when it comes to dealing with such a big and powerful animal. But what it means to be mahout is changing for example, in the elephant camps, anyone can be hired to be a mahout. So when it comes to ownership, um, there are elephant camps, as we've mentioned, and there are mahout owners. So these are people who themselves, they own the elephants and they ride and work with the elephants. And often they have grown up with the elephants themselves. So I was working with these mahout owners. And there are also non-Mahout owners who are owners of elephant camps, but they don't ride the elephants. So they don't work with the elephants, but they own them and they profit from the elephants. And then they often work with hired Mahouts, who are people who are hired by camp owners and they work with the elephants. And the issue with these mahouts is that they often don't have the cultural understanding and training and experience to form this healthy and respectful mahout-elephant relationship. So as you can imagine, this might be very dangerous for both the mahout and the tourist. Okay, I know that was a lot of terminology, but these people really determine how well taking care of the elephant is i mean outside factors can greatly affect that like money but also these people important so yeah the mahouts that um we were working with are from karen hill tribes a group of indigenous people in northern thailand and for them mahoutship is a central part of their cult cultural heritage and they are mahout owners, meaning they own the elephants and they ride the elephants and care for them. Interesting. You mentioned in your paper that the longer an elephant is with their mahout, the more comfortable they are with them and the less likely they are to be aggressive with other people. Right. So I think with any relationship, just like a partnership with another human, or I think in this case, it's just so hard to find a parallel with a mahout elephant relationship. Maybe like a person working with a police dog, you don't want 
the human to be constantly changing in that relationship because so much is at stake. You're working with this very potentially dangerous animal and you want to have the human and elephant have to really trust and understand each other. And with the hired mahouts, I have I haven't spoken to them, but I've heard that some of them are they can be scared of the position that they're in, but they have to do this for a living. So sometimes they and I'm not speaking for everyone, but I have heard that sometimes they may have to use tools such as hooks or other not very humane methods to get the elephants to behave in a way that is not dangerous. So they might try to communicate with the elephant using these more harmful ways rather than because they might have a good relationship. They might not need to use these methods. I kind of understand I have empathy for them that they don't want to get hurt just kind of like how I work at a vet clinic and you know a dog might be really nice but they see you taking their blood or giving them a vaccine as like a threat so we have to put a muzzle on them or we have to hold them down which is not something we want to do but we do for our own safety and for our job as well as their safety of course. I think some confusion still revolves around this, but are Asian elephants in Thailand, the ones in camps and the ones who have mahouts, are they considered domesticated or wild animals? Domestication is a process where humans genetically alter a species. For example, we we know that dogs are domesticated from wolves. They are genetically distinct. But in the case of elephants, they are actually not domesticated. So they are genetically identical to their wild counterparts, but they are tamed, which means they can work with us because of that unique human-animal relationship that the mahouts develop. And in the law in Thailand, elephants are split into this category of captive versus wild, even though they are genetically identical. And this distinction actually means people treat them very differently. In Thailand, um, wild elephants are considered endangered species under the Wild Animal Reservation and Protection Act, which was enacted in 1992. And this prevents human interference of them, except for conservation efforts. And their captive elephants are considered livestock under the Beast of Burden Act, which was enacted in 1939. Nine, And this means that their owners can keep and trade them at will. So you can see this wild and captive divide really determines how the elephant can be treated, even though they're basically the same. <laughs> wow, that is so interesting. I actually didn't know that. In case somebody is interested in going to Thailand and seeing an elephant, uh, how could they tell between the difference uh, of a humane elephant camp and a non-humane one? Firstly, i just like to point out it seems so difficult just to go on their website and know if it's a good one or a bad one. I feel like there's a huge spectrum from 
elephant camps that I really think are quite questionable, you know, where they have these highly unnatural behaviors being taught to paint paintings, having people write them to better ones where the elephants are able to engage more natural behaviors. So I think I look at sort of two criteria. So one is the extent of human-animal interaction. Again, there's a spectrum from really interacting closely. Like my example, I actually rode the elephant and even got a massage. I would not recommend that. (laughs) Don't do that. When we were in the village with the elephants in their forest, we never interacted with the elephants until one day the Mahood let us say to the elephant so I was really privileged I gave one elephant a pat on the back I also see activities for example feeding the elephants or bathing the elephants and even though I think this is a bit better than uh, riding the elephants which is quite damaging to their spine um the extent of washing like if you repeatedly wash these elephants that's not good for their um, skin because they normally they normally do like to have a layer of protective dust and mud over themselves so again it's the extent to which they are engaging in these behaviors and if you are really over showering them or overfeeding them with sugary um, treats and fruits then again our interactions with them are detrimental to their welfare so we just need to reflect on what our interactions are causing to them and normally minimizing what we're doing is better. So it's kind of funny that when you go to a zoo you don't expect to pet the animals like a giraffe or a tiger but somehow in wildlife tourism you expect to have physical interaction with them. Yeah that is interesting and I think social media makes it a bit worse. It's just so It's bad, but it's so nice to have. It's so appealing to have a photo of you with a majestic creature. And it's not as attractive to have a photo of you in the far distance. There's an elephant, I guess. But we should normalize that. And the second criteria I try to look at when I'm looking at these camp slash sanctuary slash tourist attraction is how the elephants are being treated um, and also how the elephants and mahouts are being treated because if the mahouts are treated better they can take care of the elephants better and for the elephants it's important to look at whether they're able to engage in natural behaviors. So in the elephant camp that we went to in our Thailand visit when we were at our course, it was really sad because we saw these elephants in the village roaming around their land. They would just, they would walk so long and (laughs) I would get so exhausted following them and they would be foraging the majority of the time. And they have a lot of agency over what they're doing. But in the camp, it was just really sad to see the elephants chained in very small quarters. And their their feet would be standing on substrate, which was really hard, like concrete. And they were deprived of a lot of 
very important natural behaviors like, as I mentioned, foraging, bathing, and not extensive bathing, but but just choosing when to bathe and also social interactions with others. Sometimes they were kept in these small stalls so they couldn't really engage with social interactions with others, member of their group. And it was really sad to see a small elephant calf in a separate area without... Yeah, it was really... Yeah, that was really sad. (laughs) Not that any of us are traveling soon, but if you do want to see elephants and you are looking for a very humane place to visit them when you go to Thailand, check out Mahout's Elephant Foundation. And Maria will tell you why. They are putting up a model of ecotourism that's really different from current state of elephant camps. And I think what they are doing that is especially beautiful is that they are working with traditional mahouts, in this case, Karen mahouts. And these people are so experienced from generations of working with elephants and they're working with the elephants and the mahouts to bring them back from elephant camps into their home villages and the elephants' home forests. And it's just so nice to be able to visit the elephants and they are doing what they're supposed to be doing as elephants wandering around their home. Now I'm finally going to let Maria talk about her research in Thailand where she observed the relationship between traditional mahouts and their elephants. And she also asked them questions. And she had a translator, which is all very fun. Okay, let's get into it. So the Mahout Elephant Foundation is supporting the local mahouts to make this possible. Um, so they're a nonprofit organization and the money that they obtain, they give to the mahouts in these villages. And the mahouts are able to live in their villages and do what a mahout traditionally did, which is go out with their elephants into the forest. And one of the important reasons that the mahouts need to be with the elephants in this case, in the tourist situation is even though we are there and we're not interacting with the elephants, the mahouts need to be there to make sure that the elephants don't come and interact with us or there's any kind of dangerous situation. So while I was in the forest, most of the time the elephants were just very happy during doing their thing. But there were four elephants. The oldest is Tongkam. She's the matriarch. In human societies, we usually value older people as people with more experience and knowledge than us. And interestingly enough, it kind of works the same way with elephants. Matriarchs are older female members of the group, and they make important decisions that the other elephants rely on for survival, such as where to go to find food and water, or how to sense that there's a predator nearby. Sorry for interrupting, Maria. Go ahead. 
and she has her daughter Bifern, who is a lovely little lady, and the youngest, the adorable Sunti. <laughs> He's just very, very naughty, as the Mahouts call him. He is very silly. He always wanted to pull pranks on the Mahout, throw little bits of things at them, jump out at them. So he was sometimes very curious about us, and the Mahouts had to mainly make sure that they were not coming too close to us. And another role of the Mahout, given that um, the wild areas are so little now, is to prevent the elephants from going into nearby crop fields so they don't cause any conflict with other villagers, so they don't disrupt the farmlands. But it was interesting because the Mahouts actually just went into the where the elephants are. So the elephants live right next to the village in their forest. And each morning we would go with the Mahouts on a two-hour hike that I don't know how I made alive. I'm very unfit, but the Mahouts were just so fast and so nimble. And they would they'd find the elephants and for the rest of the day just follow along the elephants and whatever they did in their forest and just made sure that the elephants didn't get into any sort of trouble. So it was a really hands-off approach and the Mahouts mainly just watched from a distance just like us. But sometimes they had really fun interactions and you could really tell how close they were. And that was really beautiful for me to see that you could clearly see they loved each other really deeply, each Mahout and their elephant. For example, the village elder Manit, he would be very close with his elephant Mario. So Mario is not Oh, this is another tangent. But Mario is such a cute little boy. He's he's not related to Tonkam and her calves, but Mario is a very sweet elephant and Manit really just he really loves him and you can tell that because he always talks to Mario and he doesn't really talk much to the other elephants and he would sometimes go on little walks with Mario away from the herd and (laughs) it was just so nice to see them connect like that and other pairs would be other mahouts would be more physical with the elephants especially with baby Sunti so there was actually a mahout who would always play with Sunti and they would do things like hide and seek where Sunti would hide behind trees or hide behind mom and sometimes they would do arm wrestling with Sunti using his trunks and yeah it was just that is it was so just cute. Really I'm nice. just imagining <laughs> an elephant hiding behind the tree and thinking that <laughs> you can't see him. <laughs> yeah, he was just such a, such a silly little boy. And yeah, it was just really great because he was actually born in the forest. And it's so beautiful to think he grew up in this carefree environment without having experienced any of the, you know, stressors Trauma. and traumas of... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, stressors is too weak of a word. Traumas of being chained up in a camp. And that's the other thing about elephants is they live so long and they go through so much. So Tonkam has actually been through so much. She was and they there. they have great memory. Yeah, they do have great memory. So Tonkam 
was、um, there with her mahout during the logging industry, and then after the logging ban happened, Tongkam and her mahout went into the elephant tourism industry, and then after mahout's elephant foundation started partnering with the mahouts, Tongkam was able to walk all the way back from camp to. Their home forest, and it was so beautiful because the mahouts told me that she got really excited when they got closer, and she got quicker and quicker because she realized she was going home. And when she got home, she knew how to forage. She she was just really comfortable because it was her home forest, and I feel like she was able to just be herself again. <laughs> Yeah, that is beautiful. It's really nice. So, in terms of elephant welfare and being natural, I think the elephants are able to do a lot of natural behaviors and choose what they want to do with their day because they are in their natural habitat and they can engage in foraging behavior. They can walk around. Yeah, they can do whatever they want, which is very different from other situations on the camps. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of being controlled, they're really just being watched over to make sure that they're okay. They're being fed. Yeah. So you can see the role of the mahout is very different. It's literally someone who watches over the elephants rather than someone who is yeah working more to make sure the elephants are performing or doing something else for the sake of the human. So it's much less. Focused on the human and much more focused on the elephant and the ma- mahout themselves. Yeah. While you were in the village, did you notice elephants getting commands and understanding those commands, like oral commands or whether it be、um, gestures or things like that from the mahouts? There are definitely oral commands that I saw. During my time with the mahouts, and、oh, I'm probably gonna <laughs> say them funny, but some of them are walk forward, which is by stop, which is how back, which is toy, and there were many more. And I think many elephants also pick up on what the mahouts want just through paying attention to their tone and general. Body language, like sometimes I would notice a mahout just giving the eye to the elephant, like a like a look, and the elephant would just know, okay, I shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't get too close to the human. So, okay, does this remind anyone of their dads? But it was funny.、Um, they said that sometimes they understand, but they just choose to selectively not listen. Oh yeah. This is this this definitely reminds me of me and my dad. So I guess they are just like us. Like we don't want to listen to everything we're told. The elephants also make a lot of sound. There are these low grumbles, and I didn't record all of them, but there was a huge variety of sounds, and the mahouts can tell what they are talking about. So. It was really cool. Like the mahouts would tell me, "Okay, now Tongkam is calling Santi to come over," and then you'd see Santi waddle along to get to his mom. And yeah, they really know what's going on with the elephants. So since the coronavirus has restricted traveling, and elephant camps in Thailand are struggling, what do you think the future will look like for these mahouts and their elephants? Will the camps have to close, or do you think that begging in the streets will 
sort of increase again? Or could they possibly be released back into the wild? I think COVID-19 has just been really devastating for everyone across the globe. And especially in Thailand, I think in, in the tourism industry, it's really taken a big hit because tourism is such a big part of Thailand. And in late March, Thailand closed the borders to foreigners. So that really affected the amount of tourists coming in and bringing income to the elephant camps, to the mahout. So this was really devastating for them. And approximately 80% of the elephant camps have already shut down. The Mahouts at these camps are really struggling because they've lost their income. And even though some of these camps say that they still have some money to sustain, but these are all finite resources, so they are going to run out at some stage. And I have heard from various sources that many elephants are returning to their home village. But the wild, as you say, like their home forest is very limited, unfortunately, and they can't house all of these captive elephants. And I believe this year was also really devastating in terms of natural conditions. The forests are not doing so good. I think they had a dry spell. So forage is also affected. It's just been an overall bad year for everyone. And I'm not sure what the future will hold, but I have also heard that people have resorted to illegal logging and begging, which is really unfortunate for both the mahouts and the elephants. Taking yeah. a, going backwards <laughs> a bit, unfortunately. I know. And I've heard there are organizations and foundations who try to rescue some of the elephants. But again, resources are very limited and there are so many elephants and mahouts out there. So yeah, I don't know what the future will, will hold, but I, I really hope everything will get a bit better <laughs> anything but what's happening now. Yeah. You kind of touched on this already a bit, but would it be possible to suddenly release all of the captive elephants back into the wild or the forest that you mentioned? Even if not Thailand, would it be possible to somehow ship the elephants to other countries where there's more habitats that can provide for them? I think it's just unrealistic to suddenly release all the captive elephants into the wild. So number one, the wild is very, very limited, not just in Thailand, but in nearby. I think across the world, the wild is very, very limited and their natural habitat is really quite fragmented and having so much wild elephants with these fragmented places means that if you don't have the mahouts to look over them they could easily start having a lot of human animal conflicts by going into the into nearby croplands or even going into places where there are humans because again the wild is not such an ideal big place where they can just go. And yeah, especially for an animal that 
eats over a hundred pounds of food a day and needs to walk like many miles a day. It's like even in Africa, there's a lot of problems with, you know, elephants going on crop fields and then getting shot by the farmer who's trying to protect his crops. But it's hard. What kind of fence do you even put up yeah. for such an, <laughs> such an enormous animal? So I didn't know this before, but I recently found out that conservationists actually put beehives along fences to protect farmers' crops. And this is a great solution because elephants are scared of bees and they were deterred and farmers no longer had to shoot them and bring down their numbers. So great, right? Actually, I was wondering, like, how often do the mahouts ride their own elephants? Because, like, that's something they can do, right? The elephant's okay with it. But does the mahout avoid riding their elephant? So when it comes to riding the elephant, I also had questions as to whether a mahout riding the elephant might be uh, more detrimental. But uh, after speaking to them, it turns out that the spine of the elephant is such that on the back, it actually pops out quite a bit. So when the tourists ride, I don't know if you've seen them, but they're normally sitting right on the back where that spine is popping out. So that applies a lot of pressure and is really detrimental to the elephant's spine. And it's it's just not ideal to be sitting there with so much weight, especially. But when the mahout is riding, it's one person, which is a lot lighter. And they normally sit themselves at the neck of the elephant. And it's a bit dented so there's no um there's no spine popping out and i do believe that one person is much lighter than for example when i went riding my whole family i feel so bad my whole family was sitting on this poor elephant's back so it's very different and i have seen elephants approach when I was observing, elephants did approach the mahouts to be played with, and sometimes one of them actually bent her neck down to kind of scoop the mahout up, and the mahout was not even really in the mood for that, but they did play a lot, and sometimes um, when the elephant was going into a place where the mahout didn't really want. Um, one of the mahouts would go onto the elephant and just ride her or him out of the, yeah, just guide the elephant away on on her neck. And just a silly question. If you were a mahout, what would you name your elephant and how would you take care of him or her? Hmm, that is very interesting. I haven't haven't thought about my baby elephant name. Um, Right now, I have a rat called Beastie who I really like. So I think maybe I would name... (laughs) Maybe I would name my elephant... (laughs) Yeah, maybe I would name... I don't normally name my animals the same name, but it would be cool to have an elephant called Beastie and a rat called Beastie. (laughs) And aren't elephants elephants. scared of mice? Like in cartoons, I remember in Cinderella, they freaked out when they saw a mouse. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if that's true, but if it was, it would 
wie, ja, wie kind of nice. There's a rat called Beastie you and the elephant. You would have to give up one of your pets, unfortunately. I'm sorry, yeah. Maria. By the way, guys, there is no evidence that says elephants are really scared of mice. There might have been a theory that says they're scared of them crawling up their trunks into their nostrils, but that said, the elephant could easily just blow out the mouse. So, we don't really know. Cinderella, Dumbo, I don't know where you came up with the idea, but it's not really factual. That's interesting. I don't know what I would do with my elephant. That is interesting. I actually think I would make a terrible mahout because of how <laughs> inept <laughs> I was. At, yeah, I need to be more fit. But this was something I also wanted to bring up was... When I was in the forest, I was just in so much awe of the mahouts and the elephants because I knew they were in their land. I knew that they were in their home because they knew what they were doing. Like, I thought the elephants would be so big and so clumsy, and I thought they would be slow. But no, these guys are fast, way more faster, <laughs> way faster than what I'd imagine. And I was always out of breath trying to keep up with them on the sometimes quite steep mountains. They were totally fine. And within the bamboo forest, I thought that after they walked through a place, there would be a... I just imagined they would leave some sort of trace where the trees were damaged and they you know they leave yeah. their footprints but i was, I was so that. yeah i was really shocked because they would go through these areas with dense bamboo foliage and they walk in such a way that one feet is in front of the other so they leave a really narrow print and the the trees or the bamboos they just snap right back and it was actually really hard for me to follow them because they left their tracks it was so little it was it was so bizarre wow. for me to see that i thought and, they would trample yeah. everything that they step on <laughs> that's interesting yeah yeah it wasn't like that yeah so that was really shocking and the mahouts always knew where they were going, how to climb on these crazy steep places. And the mahouts are just so amazing. They take the bamboo, chop a little bit, and then they make it into a cup with their with their knife that they carry everywhere. And they just use the cups or they slice the bamboo in half and then they boil something that they bought and we just have food there. And it was just really cool. Everything was just so harmonious like I really saw the humans and the elephants and the environment in a really harmonious way if you've made it this far I just want to congratulate you on being a great listener thank you thank you so much for listening and thank you to Maria for doing this great episode with me Make sure to follow Animals at the Table on Instagram. I post a lot of good stuff on there that I can't do full episodes on. And that way you can keep up with all the organisms all around you. And also, if you want to leave a review, that never hurts. Thank you again for listening. And thank you, Maria. It's been a pleasure interviewing you. And you were truly awesome through this process. And I feel like I have a new friend. So thank you, Maria Cheng. And I'll catch you on the next episode of Animals at the Table.